Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, we're back. The uh, latest Mountain West football, Mountain West Wire, MWR.com podcast. That's all Mountain West Wire's in there, Matt. But we're back. Week 13 recap, and stuff happened, right? We had a few football games that um, need to be discussed, I believe, right? Very interesting weekend overall. There's a lot of crazy football. Friday, Saturday, coaching stuff, not coaching stuff, hosting, not hosting. We'll get to it all, but if you like some Facebook, we appreciate it. We want to build that up, uh, Mountain West Wire over there, um, MWC Wire on Twitter. We got a ton of interaction today a lot we're increasing followers uh, people come into our website but i like how matt post i know you post this every day because you're up earlier than me but give your reaction gift form that was highly popular sunday morning oh yeah i mean i figure it's a nice little thought exercise and some of the responses are actually pretty hilarious most of the time so my favorite one came from a wyoming fan <laughs> did you see that one <laughs> Oh, where he lit his own beard on fire and stuff like that? Oh, no, I missed that one to the guy who the on the bicycle just runs him over in the nuts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that one, that was my favorite, I think. Yikes. There are some good ones, but it's uh, there's the fire one. There's a lot of stuff going on. But, yeah, if you um, basically it's like give us your reaction gift form, and you were probably, um, before we knew hosting duties, we were pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's get to the game. We'll start Friday night. So we had uh, – I'm going to talk a little Friday, stick- Friday afternoon. Oh, sorry. Actually. Friday afternoon. Yes, I was watching this in my hotel room because I was sort of out of town. Uh, caught a good portion of this game. I'll just say this. Um, Richard Penny is good. And did you happen to see – well, really quick. Stan- Stan- or not Stanford. We'll get to my Stanford tweet I mentioned earlier that I saw. Aztecs went 35-10. Lobos actually kept it pretty close for about half of this game. However, you could tell the difference in the game that's coming when the end of the first uh, half – Aztecs had the ball deep in their territory. It was only 7-0, so Lobo's defense is actually doing pretty good, holding the penny somewhat in check. And um, the good old penalties and uh, Lobo's defense comes to bite him in the butt where there was a what, penalty, uh, was there a first, 41, or excuse me, look at the wrong, look at the wrong, wrong uh, excuse me, the wrong drive chart here, but they get the ball at the 19-yard line. They're on 19. And there's, what, four minutes left? Like, eh, maybe they could do something, maybe not. They're going down there. Oh, third and 19. Oh, jeez. Aztecs can't pass the ball, can they, Matt? They're not very good at passing. It's not quite what they're known for all the time. <laughs> we'll do that. So, Penny, they're like, third and 19. Well, we'll just run the ball, punt it. We'll see what happens. Penny gets a pretty good run, 13-yard run. Oh, penalty on um, SDSU, five-yard penalty. Wait a minute. Personal foul <laughs> on the Lobos. So, instead of it being basically either third and 24 or third and uh, fourth and six and punting, the Aztecs automatic first down. I like how they put the zero yard line. Do you notice that too, Matt? Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I do. But they get a penalty. It's like, okay, whatever. That's okay. That stinks. First and 10 to 20. So it's not, not like the ball moved very far, but new set of downs. Okay. Okay. First down, 20 yard pass. First down again. Second and one. First down. And then, oh, it's third and three at the 20. Oh, they score a touchdown. Basically, Penny goes untouched and kind of slowed down about the five yard line to walk it in. Yeah. That from that point, I'm like, okay, this game's over. 14-0, nothing's going to happen. That's the epitome of this uh, Lobos defense here. 
Well, I think the the other thing that really stood out to me in this game, because, I mean, you're right, it did get a little bit away from them, you know, late in the second quarter, early in the third quarter, when they were, what, down 21 yeah, nothing before they finally got some momentum going? Yeah, the next possession, Penny goes 51, 51 yards out, untouched. Who goes untouched from 50 yards out? So what stood out to me was that, you know, within that same stretch, you know, from this time they were down 14 nothing to the time they were down 21 nothing and trying to come back, it seemed to me like, you know, they were taking shots down the field, and especially once Tavaka Tuioti, who finished 10 of 20 for 160, 56 yards and a touchdown. Robos. Two, inter- two interceptions. So, you know, obviously they were trying to throw to get back into the game, which almost by necessity... And they were throwing down the field, and a lot, you know, more than a few times, they weren't really missing those passes by much. And some of that was, you know, owed to the fact that San Diego State's secondary is playing great defense altogether. Like I counted, like they they're, they're credited with seven pass breakups, but it seemed like you know every time New Mexico was throwing the ball down the field, you know, I think there was one pass in particular where. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Patrick Reed. It would have been like a 30 or 40 yard completion and he had it. And then whoever was covering him, I believe it was Tariq Thompson knocked it away at the last minute. So, you know, they were going for these chunk plays, which, you know, obviously when you're down two or three scores is the right move. You can't always, you know, go laterally. And, you know, I think they were doing what they needed to do. They were coming up just a little bit short. You know, and some of that credit is, you know, goes to the guys who were back there doing all the, a lot of the coverage. Cameron Kelly had a really great game. You know, it will show up on the stat sheet. He's only credited with three tackles and everything like that. But he had a great game. You know, Tariq Thompson, probably All-American freshman, right? I think so. It's fair to say. Two interceptions. I believe I, I saw a note from the uh, information director down there at SDSU where he's the first freshman this year to have two interceptions in a game. Wouldn't be surprising. Not many do. I'm I'm probably misquoting that. But, you know, as a unit, they played extremely well. And, and New Mexico is, you know, doing what they needed to do to try and get back in the game. And to their credit, it did work a little bit. They did have the long catch and run from Jay Griffin. That was actually a pretty, pretty good play, mm-hmm. all things considered. You know, broke a tackle and then basically crossed the field to get to the end zone. But they couldn't run the ball. That was the problem. They had zero running game and... They're, that's the reason they lost. They, they got to be able to run the ball. They had nothing. Yeah. And, yeah, just what, what Owens, 27 yards. Like, look at – you mentioned those pass breakups. They had six TFLs. Like, uh, who do you have? T- 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 oh, wait, what's his name here? I can never say it right. Kaiva Tizino? Tizino, sorry. Two and a half TFLs, what, 14 tackles? Jeez, everybody was seven solo. There's six TFLs. They Lobos just couldn't get anything done. So, like you said, they had to throw the ball. And if you're down that many scores and your team that can't really throw efficiently, or that's not what you want to do, they were. That's why I said when it was 14-0 and noticed their rushing yards at halftime, there was no way they were coming back in this game. They attempted mm-hmm. to, but it's end of the season. It's a tough loss. But Aztecs defense is really good. And Penny, 200 yards, that 51 yard long one, two TDs, and then also. How what would you want to say right now? Jawan Washington has two thousand yards next year. Ooh, <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to say that any running back is is a shoe in for two thousand yards. But I mean, you consider the guys they have coming back. 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure the entire offensive line is returning. You know, you, we, there were what three freshmen along the starting up along the starting unit this year. I think um, I'm trying to remember his name. I'm not seeing him in the starting lineup. This um, Rosales, I think. It, it's been he, young the um, guy from. I think he's going to be a senior next year. year. He didn't. Yeah, but you know the you know the guys that tackle, in particular Keith Ishmael, Tyler Romer. I think both of those guys are redshirt freshmen, and I think you know they did have some issues pass protecting again a little bit, you know, because New Mexico did manage three sacks, which I think is worth noting. Mm-hmm. That's been a little bit of an issue, you know, throughout the season being able to protect Christian Chapman, who, again, on the whole, had a pretty solid afternoon, fourteen of twenty one hundred ninety eight yards and two scores. Yeah. But, you know, offensive lines that, you know, stay together can be very, very dangerous things in the long run. So I think if you're an Aztecs fan, you know, yeah, there's some wrinkles to iron out going forward to the bowl game, going forward to 2018. But, you know, I don't think anybody's arguing that they're not going to be in the mix again next year. And, you know, as far as your original question, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I almost have to hedge, but... You know, the way that this offense has been cranking out 2,000-yard rushers recently, it wouldn't surprise me if Washington were the next guy to do that. Yeah, just a quick note. Like, I, I don't know if this is any sort of record or not, but, yeah, Penny this year, I don't know what the uh, – it's probably few and far between the consecutive 2,000-yard rushers by a single school. You had Penny this year. You had Pumphrey last year. I don't know if, how many schools going back-to-back. Like, Stanford could have been close, but they didn't – they had Christian McCaffrey, but not uh, – Bryce Love last year, or McCaffrey his senior, excuse me. But, like, it is rare, obviously, because they had, like, it's basically, like, at most, like, two or three guys each year max. They get 2,000 mm-hmm. yards. You have two every year going back to, like, uh, see, 2013. 2013 is the last year there's only one 2,000-yard rusher in Andre Williams from Boston College who just tore it up. There's zero in 2012, so I know I'm exaggerating. And there might be, I guess, bowl stats and extra game so there should be another one this year because Bryce loves the 1848 and Jonathan Taylor's at 1806 and Taylor could have many three games if the playoff goes their way so there could be a couple more guys in there but not very many but then one thing I'd like to note Stanford football San Diego State beat Stanford right am I correct on that uh you are correct even though Bryce love yes outdrew him that night but they put a tweet out I should have looking up here while you're talking before, but oh, basically, yeah. basically putting <laughs> Penny or not Penny Love number one in total yards, number one in touchdowns, number one in this big fat asterisks, power five teams only. It's like really, he uh, does not have more rushing yards than Rashard Penny. He does not have more touchdowns than Rashard Penny or Devin Singletary FAU who has 26 touchdowns. His yards per attempt is better than Penny, so you gotta give him that yards per game. Penny gets them by .92. So, again, how is he not a Doak Walker finalist? <laughs> See, you know what it reminds me of? Like, have you have you seen Friday Night Lights, the movie? Um, once, one time, I believe. So help me refresh my memory about, was it Booby Johnson? Okay. Is that the guy? Well, okay, so there's a scene after Booby Miles injures Miles. his knee where he goes to Midland to get his x-rays checked out. Mm-hmm. And he's convinced that the doctor is like against oh. him be- simply because he's from Midland. Yeah, and so he starts cool. screaming at the guy. He starts screaming at the guy who who's paying you. And that's kind of what this whole Richard Penny not being a Doak Walker finalist kind of reminds me of because the season that he's had 
is like such a slam dunk for that kind of award that it almost kind of makes me wonder if we could create like some kind of award ourselves and just give it to him. You know what I mean? We should. We should fax him an award and make it for because people were. I don't. We didn't discuss this much last time. Did it come out before last podcast or is it this week afterwards? I forget. I don't recall. People call it the Joke Walker Award. It's it is ridiculous. Like some guy was on Twitter, select the all purpose yard award. Because I kind of mentioned like all purpose on our Twitter. I go, oh, what about touchdowns? What about yards per play? What about total yards? What about rushing yards? What about this, this, or this? That's only rushing. And it part of it is like it isn't the SMU. Somebody tweeted. Was it you or somebody tweeted out about how you can get a table at the Doke Walker Award? Oh yeah, it's like, all about money. Yeah, it's like it's you can you can buy a table if you're gonna get this too. I get what it's for. It's a great cause and everything. What it does, but you can uh, buy. Um, let's go. Let's, you can like buy tables or buy whatever. But like the candidates, who are the finalists? It's a uh, Jonathan Taylor. You have a uh, Shaquan Barkley and Bryce Love, right? Are those the finalists? Yes, they are. It's like even if you want to give the competition route, which doesn't hold too much because I know the West isn't very good, but they also played Stanford, Arizona State. That's a pretty good team. They played Boise State's good defense, Fresno State. I know the two games Penny didn't play well in uh, Boise and Fresno, but overall, like pretty good competition. But like yards, he like he leads every category. It's not like it's not like you're looking at okay, not to point out Devin Singletary, he's doing very doing very good things for FAU. Competition not as great, which I know I just mentioned that, but he has 26 touchdowns. Everything else is a good a couple hundred yards behind everybody else. Like mm-hmm. he's a couple hundred behind Love, behind Taylor. However, I don't see uh, where's Barkley on this yards total yards list. Is he like down on the list? I'm trying. I gotta scroll a little bit here, don't I, to find him? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm not just making that. I'm like Penn State. Um, Penn. Uh... Oh, he just has 1,100 rushing yards. How is he a finalist? Money. No, but like that's my point. That like he like okay. Honestly, the other two guys, Love and Taylor, well deserved. But how does Barkley get there with 1,100 rushing yards? 1100 that's 31st in the country Penn State's not even going to the playoff no so. it's like it's ridiculous I know they announced last week but even that's like I it's just, that just just doesn't make any sense it is money because you can pay to get there but like if he's not a Heisman finalist like not he's not gonna win because it's probably Baker Mayfield but this is like on par of like uh was Marshall Falk a finalist yeah yeah he's a finalist but didn't win but it's like it's just ridiculous. Like going to a Doke Walker Awards website, you can go to like uh, stats, like rushing yards, weekly rushing leaders, rushing leaders per game. Barkley's like down the list of. I think they did the ESPN route where they included eleven just to include Barkley for rushing yards per game because wasn't see he's number eleven. You know what should you know what should have disqualified Saquon Barkley? What? Fourteen carries, thirty-five yards against Rutgers. Oh. What was the score in that game? Do you have that in front of you, real quick? Oh, oh, they won thirty-five to six. So it wasn't like a sixty-nothing drubbing where he came out at halftime. And he and he had a and he had two touchdowns, but he had thirty-five yards against Rutgers. At least Boise State and Fresno State have a pretty good defense, right? Yes. And so, like people say, well, he rushed fifty-six yards against Boise. I'm like, well, that's not great, but. Well, guess what? Barkley did the same thing against Indiana. Anyway. One last thing. Here's another. Here's a. Here's another question before we move on. Okay. Are you okay with the fact that the Aztecs are ranked again? Ooh, that's a good point. They are ranked above Fresno, or in one poll, and Boise. Um, I don't know. It's they've lost their, their two biggest games on the schedule. They lost. I guess Fresno at the they top. They lost their two biggest games on the conference schedule. Conference schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, yeah. Um, 
No, I would say Fresno should be ranked ahead of them in the um, coaches' poll. Because I feel like both of those teams, and I said this on Twitter earlier, both of those teams probably should be ranked at this point. We'll talk about Fresno a little bit later. You know who should not be ranked? Mississippi State. <laughs> you know who else shouldn't be ranked? South Florida. Are they ranked? Oh, yeah, they are. They're, they're still number 22 in the AP poll. And do you realize that they still have, they haven't beaten anybody over 500 this year? Nobody? Who's who's their best win? Their best win is Temple. And they have what, five and six? They're six and six. Oh boy, hey, ballable. Give it a hands up, get yeah. hand up. Hey, but that's, that's literally that's literally their best win. And I think what people overlook when when they're when they're looking at San Diego State versus Fresno State apparent especially. Let's not forget that you know the non conference wins that the Aztecs had this this September have held up about as well as you could hope for if you're an Aztecs fan at this point. Partic- like Stanford's in the top 15. Particularly Arizona they, State as well. You know what I mean? They are supposed to be bottom feeder in the Pac-12 South. And they have a, and Stanford has a chance to win the Pac-12 title next weekend, this Friday, they actually. They crushed Notre Dame. They beat them pretty easily. You know, and Arizona State was picked to finish last. I believe somebody mentioned that they had Fifth actually finished second in the Pac-12 South. Yeah. So... You know, that win. And then, of course, you have an eight-win Northern Illinois team that turned out to be a pretty solid MAC team. And you can't lose sight of those things. Are so those – let me that, ask you this. Yeah, are yeah those obviously wins, they didn't – Real quick. Are those – those wins are possibly the best non-conference win of any team in the group of five? You, oh, yeah. Like uh, – The Stanford win is – the Stanford win is the best win that any team had in non-conference play. You know, Fresno obviously has the win over Boise. Mm-hmm. Um, Boise has their win over San Diego State. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Boise were, like, 30 or something like that. You know, also receiving votes or thereabouts. They are. But, I mean, at this point, considering the entire resume, the Aztecs and the Bulldogs should both be ranked. Who should be ranked higher? Fresno? I mean, if it were me, I would probably have the Aztecs a little bit higher. Like, one or two spot difference at most. Like, 23, 25, something like that. Because I think that San Diego State's two best wins you know taken together and i'm thinking you know that's stanford and i guess arizona state slightly better really cool. than boise and san diego state arizona state here's the weird thing arizona state 76 and s&p plus mm-hmm. oh it's not updated yet. So, I mean, they're, that's so, not, I mean, they're not a, they're not a bad they're not a bad pac-12 team no but you know obviously i mean you could probably rank them you know 24 25 23 24 and i wouldn't have a problem either way but I think we should all start wondering aloud why South Florida is still ranked and just go from there. They almost beat Central Florida. Almost. Yeah. Only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And they should have won if not for special teams miscues. And also if their defense didn't give up 49 points. Well, that, that too. Yeah. Anyway. It's, anyway. It's, uh, you, know, you know what all this is leading up to again? I don't. 6-6 six and six Texas ranked 18th next year in a preseason bowl. Oh, let's not talk about that. I'm going to get so angry about that. What about Tennessee? Are they going to be ranked again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope not. All right. Uh, let's, um, one last thing I was going to note real quick. The uh, Stanford put Penny has the uh, most 100-yard um, rushing yard games in the year. Not true. Um, or Bryce Love. Penny has 11. Love has 10. So there's that. All Just right. Saying. Penny for Heisman, right? Exactly. He If he's not a finalist um, – let me ask you this, and who's your Heisman finalist really quick? Do you want to spit that out real quick? Do you care to uh, – I mean, Penny's one. Uh, I would put Mayfield in that conversation for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'd have to think about the rest. Bryce Love definitely yeah. deserves to be there. Mason Rudolph, maybe? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, Lamar Jackson should be there again. He has better I numbers mean, yeah. than last year. Yeah, I mean, if you ignore the wins and losses that Louisville's put up this year, his numbers have been better than last year's for sure. Um, and then, I mean, those four, I think, are probably the most deserving. You know, if I really wanted to throw a bone to someone else in the group of five, I would also put Mackenzie Milton in there too because he's been probably the best group of five quarterback in the in the country. And, you know, we, we kind of – we've talked about – hashtag American power in the past, but you know, Mayfield's number one, as far as quarterback rating Milton's number two. And I think that that should definitely be worth something. And one thing real quick, I was watching the UCF USF game on ESPN three. They're running power six the whole time during those local spots. That's all. That's all they're running. Like, are you kidding me? It's like, geez, Um, there's only, there's like five or six guys that should be in there. Barkley should not be in there at all. It's, it's a joke. Um, Rudolph, Maybe it's because numbers. Uh, I don't know. That's um, I don't know. You know, um, you know who's not gonna be a finalist, but is just tearing it up. Apparently, I just realized I went by total touchdowns. I'll give you. I, I give you hundred guesses. You never guess who has this touchdown leader passing. Drew Locke, Missouri, forty-three touchdown passes. They have been a very good second half team this year. Yeah, went five of six to be bowl eligible at Barry Odom. Good for them. Good for them. Good for them. All right, let's move on. We've talked way too much about nonsense, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's talk about the Fremont Cannon then. You know what? You know what you don't do the Fremont Cannon. Have a defensive end guard a wide receiver. That's what you don't do. Who? Yeah, pro- probably not <laughs> ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Who is UNLV's defensive coordinator to make that call? How does that happen? <laughs> and I mean, if you've if you, have you seen like any of the local coverage since then, like the columns that they've written in the local newspapers a little bit. in the last day or two? Uh, sort of. I've been doing a few other things. Not as much as I wanted to. What's the What's the word? I mean, Vegas, Vegas is, you know, at least as far as the columnists down there are concerned, Vegas is burning, man. They're fired up about the fact that UNLV gave this game away. Did they give it away, though? Well, I think you could probably make a stronger argument that Nevada just went out and won it. You know, they dominated on the stat sheet pretty much everywhere you look. Um, barely, though. You know, Not had... barely. Come on. Rushing well, yards was subpar of. against the Nevada rushing defense. That's been pretty bad all year. They go well under their well under their yards per play, yards per game, everything. Like, Nevada outpassed them, and so I don't, I don't see they dominated in the stat sheet, really. They couldn't run the ball very well. Okay, so here, here's what I'm looking at. You know, obviously, yeah, UNLV's had troubles stopping the run this year. But when you consider the inconsistencies that Nevada has had, you know, if you look at what Kelton Moore did, for instance, 23 carries, 109 yards, 4.7 yards per carry. He didn't have that many big runs. I'm trying to look up exactly how many. He only had one run. That 16-yarder. That, that 16-yarder. So, <laughs> you know, you could say he was fairly steady throughout like you know they didn't really push him backwards all that much because UNLV was only credited with well actually I guess they had seven tackles for loss but you know the the running game was steady if not exactly kind of like the game breaking kind of running game you see elsewhere in the conference so I think that that's you know a mild success for them but I mean if Mm -hmm. you look at what the Wolfpack were able to do yards per play you know Wolfpack was at 6.5 UNLV was at 4.4. And when you're and when you're moving the ball, you know, especially in chunks through the air like Ganji was able to do, 
you know, they didn't have a very explosive running game, but Ganji came out and maybe had his best game overall this year, 24 of 33, 266 yards. But more importantly, like he was finding, he was exploiting the secondary in a way that I think that we've seen him do a lot down the stretch these, these days. And, you know, they keep track of the, the 15 yard chunk plays, but I mean, you just go down the stat sheet, you know, very first play, 42-yard completion to McLean Mannix, you know. And then, you know, 21 yards, 28 yards. So it wasn't as though they were just barely getting those chunk plays. You know, they were making hay pretty much all game long through the air. And so I think that is a credit to them and really, you know, kind of putting this game away. Well, there, yeah, no, there is. And, like, I'm looking through, like, I watched a bit of this here and there. But it's like saying UNLV gave it away. It's like their biggest lead was only seven points, man. you telling me that's how you give it away? It's so like they had a chance, like when they go for that one position where they had fourth and one to nine. Yeah, give it to Lexington Thomas. You you think that's a sure thing? That's probably where it killed them. They could have kicked a field goal, been nineteen to nine, but then they don't get that first down. Then Nevada goes down and goes ninety one yards or ninety yards, or whatever it was, for a touchdown to tie the game. That was pretty pretty much it. And like after that, you and all these offense did nothing. They had punt three three and outs. The defense held up three and out again. Then Nevada gets a TD. Then they go deep down to try to win the game, but fourth and two at the 22, can't get it. And that's the end of the ballgame. So I don't think if they're staying, UNLV gave it away. That's not the case at all. It's like they both turned the ball over a couple times. Neither scored off of their um, outside of the field goal off the Nevada Nevada fumble. They didn't really score off turnovers. Like overall, it's like the yards per play was reasonably even. A little bit, a little bit of edge penalties weren't really there. I would say, like, even third down conversion, 9 of 18, 6 of 12. That was Nevada in the ladder. But they both were, like, this is a, like, I think it's a comparable game, really, if you think about it. Well, I think one thing that made a difference, possibly, is, you know, UNL, not UNLV, Nevada was a little more successful on first downs. So that really put more pressure on UNLV in the long run. Because, yeah, they both completed 50% of their third downs and and if you really get into the numbers like they're just about even in those kinds of things like their average down and distance was roughly the same you know their their effectiveness running the ball was about the same especially for UNLV they had seven different first downs converted on the ground but you know Nevada had a lot more success on first downs that I think might have made a difference in this game because you know again if you look at yards per play you know, Nevada was averaging eight yards on first down. So they were moving the chains, I think, a little more often and putting more pressure on this defense than UNLV was if you look at – or rather, if you look at what UNLV was doing on, the, on offense, rather. You know what else is a big difference in this game? There's two two reasons they shouldn't be – they can't beat themselves up over it, or they should beat themselves up over it. Don't lose to Howard in week one. You go to a bowl game, clearly. Yeah. And how many field goals did UNLV kick in this game again? Two. There you go. You kick field goals. No, three field goals, actually. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was looking at red zone field goals. Yeah, okay. Well, it's even worse. Yeah, the 53-yarder is huge, but two red zone field goals? Come on. They, there's been so many times this year, going back to Howard, even for, even when they beat Fresno State, they're settling for field goals when they get in the red zone getting deep. So that's where you kind of put the blame on this. You get in the red zone twice and get no touchdowns, or get just, I don't know the other score, but you have two field goals in the red zone. It's Get touchdowns. You, this has been UNLV's problem the whole year. They get close. They settle for field goals. 
that's different yeah, in I mean, a couple think... games this year. And so that's why it's like, again, first beat Howard, but field goals, man. It's like, come on, you get that close fourth and one. And then fourth and one was in the red zone and they don't score again. So that's six, uh, six points in, in those, at least those three trips. I know there's more, but fourth and one at the nine, that could have been a field goal. It flipped to a 10 point swing. There's a couple times where they get close and they can't convert. And that's been an issue all year long. Yeah. I mean, I think that if, for all the successes that UNLV has, and I think both of these teams in the long run, you know, going into 2018, I think both of these things are going to be, you know, real big headaches for the contenders in the conference. But that might be kind of the biggest what if, because if you look at the numbers on the season, you know, if you look at red zone conversions as a whole, they ranked, they ended up finishing sixth in the conference, which is pretty good. So they, they managed to get something on 86% of drives. Oh, one more, real quick, one more thing. I just noticed this now. Both of their turnovers inside the red zone. Hmm. Yeah. Come on. That, that'll, they, that'll, that'll hurt you every time. I get how they say they give it up. But it's like, come on, you can't, it's whatever. It's, they just, what do they get? It's like the old San Jose state joke a couple years ago. They get close to red zone and nothing happens. Hmm. Well, I was just going to add that, you know, they scored, they got something on 86% of drives, so middle of the pack, which is good. Mm-hmm. But as far as scoring touchdowns is concerned, they only did that 54% of the time. Yeah. And that was 10th in the conference. And that's one of those things where, like you say, you know, it's something to try to figure out going into next year, but it will be the kind of thing that haunts them all offseason long. Yeah, the, the, exactly. That's what um, – how, um, not Howard, sorry, Sanchez was saying – about after the games, like, and I want to wait till September to see what happens. And Dave, guys, come back. We'll get off-season stuff down the road, talking about each team or most of the teams in a couple shows in January, February, that sort of stuff. But when you look at it, they have young teams, young players coming back who, like Armani Rogers, clearly, the running backs are coming back, offensive line. Like, losing only like Devontae Boyd's, like, the real big name they're losing on offense. They bring a lot of guys back, so... They like we mentioned a couple weeks ago. I think when me and Brandon were doing a show, they've been so close in so many games. They could have like eight or nine wins on the year, but it's kind of like uh, Utah State last year. They were close, but couldn't get it done. Either blew leads or had close losses. So, so we want to the next game. Do we go to the Boise Fresno game now, or should we save that to the end? No, let's do it now. Fresno State twenty-eight, Boise State seventeen, and um, do you think Boise did trick plays just to screw with Jeff Tedford a little bit for next week? I don't think so. I mean... Or was that... Let me rephrase it. Was that their goal to attempt to, maybe? I mean, I think maybe they wanted to figure out how to get their defense on their heels. Because, and especially when you consider the flea flicker, I believe it was, what, on the first drive of the game? Early. They had? Very early. Yeah. I, I, for those who don't know, I was at this game. And, you know, it was super fun to watch live. So, I mean, I'm thinking that, you know, they probably figured they needed to do something to get this defense on its heels. I kind of anticipated it would be a defense-friendly game. And, I mean, in, in that particular instance, I don't think I was disappointed because when you look at what they were doing, especially through three quarters, it was basically even all across the board through three quarters. And, you know, that shows up on, you know, the scoreboard where Fresno State was only up 19-17 going into the fourth quarter. But, I mean, even through down the line, through three quarters, Boise was averaging three and a half yards per carry. Fresno State was only averaging 3.2. Both quarterbacks were doing really well through three quarters. You know, Brett Rippon was, or in Montel Cozart, were combined 19 of 25, 240 yards. McMarion had 244 yards of his own. What was really interesting to me was, like, 
you know, they figured out pretty quickly, I think, that they weren't going to be able to run the ball especially easily Either team. in this matchup. Either team could do that. But, I mean, especially for Boise, you know, they they needed to figure out how to throw to win. And at least the way that I saw it, there weren't a lot of really easy catch and runs in this game. Like, you know, obviously, you know, Rippon was 22 of 31 on his own, 278 yards. You know, no touchdowns, no interceptions. So that, I think, is a positive that they didn't turn the ball over against the secondary at all. But it seemed like, you know, nearly every play was tightly contested. Like Cedric Wilson ended up having a really big game, seven catches, 134 yards. But, you know, there was, you know, one catch that probably should have been picked off on the on the sidelines that was, you know, off of Jaron Bryant's hands and like right into a Wilson who was falling away into the sideline. There was, mm-hmm. you know, another catch where he had a defender on him and he just managed to get both of his feet down inbounds and things like that. There were a lot so of that, good catches in this game. There are so many good catches. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a testament to you know, how well Boise's receivers played, but it was also, I think, a credit to, you know, the tight coverage that Fresno was playing pretty much all afternoon long. And so it was, to me, it was fairly even a fairly back and forth affair until McMarion had that long touchdown and that is when I think the tenor of the game changed because then all of a sudden you know Boise had just battled back to make it a one score game you know one play later you're back down two scores and I don't think they really ever recovered after that it's not that's also the issue like I I'll say even when they had success switching quarterbacks I know Kozer didn't play a ton but he ran the ball a little bit he had that one wide open touchdown pass the, was a nine yarder that's the guy snuck behind the back of the back of the secondary but for it just when you're playing against a good defense like this and you have to come out and you're throwing the ball and like I said coverage was tight both sides like Wilson made good great plays Keyshawn Johnson made great plays a lot of good catches and tight coverage on both sides but if you're if you had to come out of a game and you're playing ripping played very well overall but if you had to come on the bench for a little bit it's like it's any momentum you have it's like it's done I know it's worked fairly well switching quarterbacks back and forth and I know Rippin has had the majority of the snaps, but yeah, stick with the guy. And there's, I think that's right. That one touchdown, that was what it did. Like that long one, it's the one play, get him up by two. Boise has to punt the next play, and that's it, man. It's like you're up 20, not, excuse me, not up to, uh, sorry, touchdown made it to uh, 26 17. But this was a game where it's like defense won, except for those couple big plays. Boise missed a field goal. That was a big deal. But like looking at some of their drives, like, Three plays, five plays. They had a, quite a few drives that were short in this game. Like they didn't have overly abundant of long drives and like possessions. There weren't a lot of possessions either in this game. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think yeah. Fresno was more physical at times than Boise State, and they kind of beat them. Like Boise's kind of known for their defense for the most part. Even though most people think their offense, Fresno's defense is really good. And Madison had had a poor game. They could Kozar usually breaks off a big run, couldn't get anything done. And a couple of missed chances for Boise. Missed field goal in the first quarter. And then they had that long 10-play drive when it was tied 7-7. Seven to seven. They couldn't get one yard. When they did the – why did they – that was the worst play. Like, I don't, don't want to say it's the worst play call ever, but fourth and one, your formation gave away the play. Because you, it was an off – right? Because an off, yeah. offset running back, like they had the tight bunch, I think one, maybe two receivers, and one guy came in motion, so maybe they're going to do a sweep or a handoff right there. Or he'll be a block to uh, the running back. But why not go the I formation? 
Because when it's off back with off center, the running back is off to his left, and there's nobody directly behind him at all. It's a QB sneak a mile away. It's like, if you're going to run the QB sneak, fine. Give an eye formation. Give the threat of you're going to actually give the ball to your running back. And that was a big play. Who knows if they scored? They could have kicked a field goal from there, so that's maybe six points they missed out on. But that was just a weird situation. I know Fresno didn't score off the return for um, the stopping them there, but it's like, if you're going to run a play, everybody in the stadium knew it was a QB sneak. Everybody with the mm-hmm. with your formation. So it's like, come on, you got to, if you're going to run a play, have a better formation to do it. It's like, that was, or have Cozart in there. Who knows? I guess maybe they thought they'd fake and do something, but it was just a, it's a bad play call there. And that caught two costly things right there. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to denigrate Boise's front seven a little too much because, you know, there were more than a few instances where they were able to get pressure on McMarion and force him into kind of bad throws or overthrows or something. Yeah. Like there that. are a couple of those. So like, the, you know, if you look at the numbers, they're only credited with, you know, two pass breakups and two QB hurries. And oddly enough, just one tackle for loss. So, you know, even though Fresno State wasn't really managing much of anything on the ground, it's been, it was more or less kind of what I, one of the things I thought was like, you know, are they going to be able to get a pass rush? And the answer was kind of sort of because they didn't really stop the running game. They didn't push them backwards. Like even if they were only getting one or two yards at a time, they were still moving forwards, which is more or less what Fresno's done all year long. Like, they're not flashy, but they always go forward. And, you know, they didn't really put enough pressure on McMarion to force his hand. You know, they didn't... I mean, they knocked him down a couple times, but, you know, they, they enabled him to complete enough easy passes, I think, where, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about seemingly every week is, like, you know, when are they going to, when are they going to get better on third downs? And if there's one glaring thing that Boise State's going to want to fix for next week, Fresno State, nine of 16 on third downs. Pretty good. And especially for McMarion, you know, he completed seven different, or he, he was seven 11 on third downs and he completed, uh, and he, com- he converted five. So he moved the chains five times through the air, which is, I feel like as as many times as he was able to do that over the last month or something like that. So for me, it was like, finally, like, cause it was as bad as he had been, you know, some of that maybe was his fault. Some of it wasn't his fault. And it was to me, like one of those things, it's something's going to give at some point. And that was a huge point in Fresno's favor in this game. And if he can keep it up for one more week, that is one of those things that's really going to put this Boise defense, which played pretty well, I think, all things considered. You know, that's going to put them on their heels, and it's going to put them in a you know position where if they're behind again, we still don't know if they're going to be able to run the ball. And then it comes down to Brett Rippon, and if he's going to be able to, you know, create as many big plays as he as he did. I think that that'll be a point in their favor because it is worth noting too that, you know, like Ganji, you know, he had eight plays of more than 15 yards. I believe five of them more than 20. So that's a good thing if you're a Boise State fan. But you might just need a little bit more to flip this game in your favor next weekend. All right, let's get to next weekend really quick. We'll have our preview show and we'll do our shows next week about this and any other news that pops up. So Fresno won. Mm-hmm. Head to head, right? That's um, I'm correct. Not twenty eight seventeen. Yes. 
yet the title game is going to be at Boise State next week. Mm-hmm. So for those who have have not been paying attention, if you haven't, shame on you, because you haven't been reading my tweets or articles I've been writing. So, and you've been missing like really great opportunities to get fired up. Exactly. And Twitter this morning, if you check our Twitter, um, MWC Wire, go to our not tweets but re- replies. We're going back and forth. A lot of people chiming in. Um, myself, uh, Jeremy Moss, and yours as well, Matt K underscore FS. We're all kind of chiming in on various responses. Here's how it works. And I get the point. doesn't mean I agree with it, but here's what they're going at. The tiebreaker rule – not tiebreaker, excuse me, not tiebreaker. Let me back up. To host a Mountain West title game, the first reason – the first um, order of business, the first layer is if you're ranked in the college football playoff poll. Mm-hmm. And the reason behind that, which I think we could all understand, is because you want to give that team the best chance to get to a big money bowl game. It's similar if you're a basketball fan. It's why some conferences give teams buys like all the way, especially smaller leagues like one big leagues. Like I know the West Coast Conference does it. Like SWAC, just a low major. Not not that the WCC is, but the WAC, they'll Big West. They'll put teams in the first or second ranked team of the conference and from the regular season in the semifinals, which means you got to win basically two games to get the auto bid because your league yeah. is typically one one and done one bid. So. That's the same theory with this, where, say, Boise State was ranked, and with UCF, USF, <coughs> all that stuff is out the window because those teams won, so there's no chance regardless. But had Boise State been ranked, won yesterday, they'd hosting, nobody bat and I'd be fine because, for me, they beat Boise, they beat Fresno State, and they're ranked in the playoff. Here's the word that really that makes no sense to me. I, I, I kind of get if nobody's ranked, but if no team is in the playoff poll, which, by the way, comes out Tuesday – despite we already know hosting is at Boise next week, is it goes to the old BCS computer formulas. So can you explain to me why that's the case? Because that makes no sense that that's the first uh, kind of tiebreaker situation. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to do this as best as I can. But I think the simplest explanation is that not all wins are created equal. And I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of Fresno State folks around here, especially who were like, you know, both teams were nine and three, both teams were seven and one. Fresno State won it head to head. It can't be more complicated than that. And my biggest concern with that is that, you know, they didn't come to those seven and one figures the same way. You know, it's, it's not a secret to say that the mountain from one to six is better than the West is from one to six. So, you know, Boise didn't have the luxury of playing San Jose State, of playing Nevada, of playing Hawaii. All three of those teams, I, I think I looked it up earlier, they finished a combined, what, 10 and 27 or something like eight that? Eight wins overall. Eight wins. So, okay, so Fresno State beat those three teams, right? You know, and Boise, on the other hand, you know, they had to they had to beat Colorado State, bull team. They had to beat Utah State, bull team. And they Wyoming. had to... No, no, Air Force was the team, the other team that they didn't have, that Fresno didn't play this year. Oh, sorry, I thought he was going to Boise's schedule, so apologies. And so, and so, you know, on the whole, you're talking about, like, two bull teams versus two teams that want to combine three games in the Spartans and the Wolf Pack. And, you know, if you're if you're saying, you know, seven and one is seven and one is seven and one, what you're essentially saying is that all wins are created equal. And if that were true, 
then UCF would be number two in the country behind Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have rankings and we wouldn't have discussions a month ago where we're wondering why, you know, San Diego state is only moving up two spots rather than three spots after beating, you know, uh, you know, UNLV or Nevada or whoever they played in the conference opener or things like that. You know, there there are these mechanisms that are already in place to judge just how good a win or a loss is. And so to say that past a certain point, you have to remove all of those mechanisms and just focus on one game kind of makes the entire point of playing an entire schedule, an entire conference schedule, pointless. You have to figure out a way to wait how much value a win over San Diego, or excuse me, San Jose State has versus a win over Colorado State. I don't think anybody's going to argue that beating Colorado State means more than beating San Jose State. And so, if you want to focus on just this one game, point at point at the scoreboard and say this is all that matters, that doesn't make any sense to me. I just think the order you know, is we, what doesn't is what is mixed because. Every other conference, anywhere else, head-to-head will, is usually the first tiebreaker. But see, that's the thing, though. Then what? Then, you know, okay, if, if not, if, if not if, if Bo- Because here's, here's the argument I made earlier. Okay. Boise came into yesterday 7-0. and You know, they're front runners, and like you said, if they'd won, we wouldn't be having this discussion. How much sense would it make to say, you know, you're 7-1, and you have one bad week, You've played a clearly tougher conference schedule than the team that just beat you. But you have to look at them and say, sorry, you're SOL because you had one bad week. How much sense does that make? It doesn't. I hear you. And also, it's big It's big because it's late in the season. And if you lose week one, week 12, it should carry it equally. How these teams played week five or week whatever early on, it may not have discussion. But okay, I, maybe I just don't like the computer rating, rankings or whatever you want to say, ratings or rankings, be the tiebreaker. So based on what you're saying, what I think you would I – mean, I'm speaking for you. You can tell me yes or no. If not head-to-head, would you rather use, I think, common opponents instead? Strength of schedule or record-wise overall? Because from what you're saying, that would make more sense than even computer ratings as the first tiebreaker to host. I mean, maybe, but then you'd have to start figuring out, okay, how do you weigh margin of victory? No, no, I mean, just do like – Do you even include margin of victory over common opponents? No, not even that, but just record versus common opponents. I mean, no, I just think that you have to figure out how to how to measure the value of different wins because not all wins are the same. And, you know, I just I, I hear you. Understand. I just don't like that. You That's can't like you can't here. just you can't point to one game and say that this game, you know, head to head matters more than everything else that Boise has done in the past two months because, you know. I've, I've watched Fresno State week in and week out. They're a very good team. Boise's had a much tougher road to last to yesterday afternoon. And the fact that they lost shouldn't necessarily mean that they that they you know, are out of luck. Like, there has to be something in place which measures that. And if the computer rankings are flawed in that regard, I mean, let's not forget, you know, Boise lost. They narrowed the gap from, what, 26 teams between them to four teams between them? It ended up being, so, what, 25 to 50 before, and then 30 to 34 after. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know that there's a perfect solution to it, but I do know that you can't just point to one game 
and say this is what matters most because not all games are created equal. Yeah, but this one was. That's the thing. This one is. You played each other. What do you, let me ask you no, this. That's, that's, that's not enough because then you're saying, okay, you can beat up on a weaker division and and then, what, beat one good team from the other division and all of a sudden you're hosting? Well, it almost happened a couple years ago. Remember San Diego State Air Force? Okay, so let's – and I, that was another point I made too. This is the third year in a row that we've had to deal with these computer rankings. So two years ago, for anybody who doesn't remember off the top of their head, San Diego State and Air Force, right? San Diego State ends up having a pretty clear advantage in the computer rankings because they go 8-0 in conference. Air Force only goes 6-2. and Aztecs end up hosting. You know, last year, you know – we, I'm pretty sure we had this exact same conversation and we've heard this similar kind of consternation from San Diego State fans. It wasn't quite the same situation because you know Wyoming had beaten San Diego State about a month before the championship game. But, you know, San Diego State basically ran through the West Division last year like a buzzsaw, which, by the way, if you haven't forgotten, if you haven't, if you don't remember, the West Division was awful. Worse last year. It was worse. It was way worse last year than it was last year. San Diego State dominated the division to their credit. They ended up going six and two because they lost interdivision games with New Mexico and Colorado State. Meanwhile, Wyoming not only beats a ranked San Diego State, they beat a ranked Boise. They beat a ten-win Air Force team. They beat a nine-win New Mexico team to get to the top of the division. And the computer rankings saw that. They saw that the, that Wyoming just had better wins and gave them the home field advantage for the championship game. And that's despite the fact that San Diego State went into championship weekend with one more win overall. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Wyoming was what? Eight and five going into championship weekend? Yeah, eight and five. Eight and, eight and, or they were eight and eight, four. Eight and four, yeah, because they lost the bowl game, yeah. And San Diego State was nine and three. Yeah, they ended up with the same conference record, six and two. But it wasn't just that Wyoming beat San Diego State head to head; it's just they had more and better wins in conference, and the computer rankings reflect that. And I think that you know, if you take a step back and you look at the entirety of what Fresno State was able to do this year, and you look at the entirety of what Boise State was able to do this year, beating Colorado State, beating Utah State, those are bigger deals than beating San Jose State and Hawaii and Nevada. And if it doesn't make a lot of sense now, it's because of the optics. You know, if you flipped Boise State and San Diego State on the schedule, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. Or right if now. they played like in week eight. Yeah. We might. We'd probably look back at it, but I don't know. I just, it does look bad because your team won. Or not your team, but the Fresno team won. And then you got to go on the road because you just beat them. And, and you wanted uh, just whatever. Okay, but here, I think, here, it, I think it, it's I, okay. I, here, long story short, yeah. too long. Didn't listen. <laughs> but here for still with us. I think you. I think this is an unusual set of circumstances that's not likely to repeat itself anytime soon. And I think that the conference would do itself a disservice if it overreacted. I'll just leave it at that. So what? Okay, well we could probably discuss this next show, but there's whatever. What do you think the right answer is? Is this the right situation, the right way to handle this? Like the right order of tiebreaker scenarios to host? Yeah, because you can't put too much value on one game. You have to look at the entire schedule. And you have to take into the fact you have to take into account somehow 
that at least in the last handful of years, one division's been tougher than the other. Mm-hmm. And that means that, you know, some wins are just better than others. And if you're going to figure out how to determine home field advantage when push comes to shove, that has to matter somehow. I guess unless you play every team once, which isn't possible unless you're the Big 12. And I mean, besides, if Fresno State goes up and beats Boise next weekend in the championship game, it's probably better for them to move up in the rankings in the AP standings than it would be if they were hosting at home and they beat Boise again. So, I mean, there's upside there. And, you know, it may suck now to not be able to host, but, you know... Tell tell Nevada and San Jose State and Hawaii to get better, oh. and then we would, and then we won't have this conversation. So real quick, game starts next week. We'll get to the full preview and everything. But are you surprised Boise is a ten point home favorite? Oh my god! Yes. Ten points? Are you kidding me? It has moved to nine and a half. Depends where you look. I've seen as low as uh, eight or eight and a half over at um, Mirage MGM. But still, it's like I could see five at most. But you lost last week. I would absolutely take the points at this point. Yeah, if you're a Fresno fan and you can go to somewhere legally to wager, take your team to cover. If you're a fan of making money yeah. anywhere you are. <laughs> I'm tempted. I am tempted to make a 80-minute drive and put, what, 40 bucks to cover? What would that give yeah. me? What would I win if I put 40 bucks on this game to cover? Oh, I have I have no idea. It's minus one ten, so it's what uh, I wouldn't make much on it. But it's like this is like fifty bucks. Hmm, is it worth it to drive out there again? If I'm going to do that, put a parlay uh, for these title games. But it's uh, like it's like you got to think about gas there. I know back. 80, 80 miles, man. Yeah, it's true. But uh, that line's ridiculous. So let's move on to the next game. We'll, re- we'll recap the season, re- our final week of the season. Plus, we'll get to all the other uh, lovely uh, next week stuff. Game, sorry, next no. game. Um, where are we going? Utah State, Air Force, or? Where do you want? San Jose Let's, State. Look. Oh boy. Well, congrats to Spartans. First of all, right? We gotta give them a big round of applause. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'll give them. I'll clap for them a little bit. Thank you. I'm trying to pull up my tab here because I have too many tabs and clicked away. San Jose State twenty. Wyoming seventeen. Senior night, first FBS win for the Spartans on the year. Um. Oh boy. Hey, you know what's a good positive for Wyoming? They found a running game in week thirteen. Yeah, better late than never, right? But playing Spartans who have a terrible rush defense. Uh, 139 for Kev- Kevin Overstreet, or excuse me, Kellen Overstreet. This is like, San Jose <coughs> State's bad. I, is Josh Allen that important to this team? Uh, did you see Nick Smith playing this game? I did. Two picks. Um, QBR 13.3. He, um, Him and Montel Aaron did not play well. But yeah, Nick Smith didn't do anything special. He did have a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. But he, outside of throwing a couple good passes to C.J. Johnson, he was awful. And did guys like Andre, who did a, not, not Chaudhry, but um, who is it, a Monroe, two picks. Two picks off of Nick Smith. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, through three quarters especially. Like, it, I mean, let's let's not sugarcoat it. This was kind of an ugly game all around. Yeah. You know, Kellen Overstreet had a nice game. You know, Montel Aaron, you know, yeah, he did have a couple of nice plays. And, you know, Trey Hartley, to his credit, went over 100 yards. But, you know, again, through three quarters, you know, it was more or less the same story that we saw when Wyoming played Fresno State. That, you know, Nick Smith was just like ugly all around. And through three quarters, yeah, he had the two interceptions. He was only eight of 21 through three quarters. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the numbers were, again, were they were trying to rally late. And, you know, to his credit, you know, maybe 
He did rebound a little bit. He was 9 of 16 in the fourth quarter. Nearly brought them back a little bit, but... I mean, to answer your original question, yeah, I think this team desperately misses Josh Allen. Let me give you two telling stats of this game. Okay. Honestly, neither team probably deserved to win, but <laughs> third down efficiency. San, mm. San Jose State, a whopping 2 of 15. Yeah. Wyoming, 5 of 20. That tells me two things. You were terrible on third down conversions. We also had you're also terrible on probably first and second down to have twenty third down attempts. Mm-hmm. They that's telling there and like Wyoming's defense. How do they give up twenty points to San Jose State? That's part of it too. It's like don't just blame the offense, but this defense for State, for Wyoming is really really good. You have one one thing that doesn't look good is uh, Wingard leads your team in tackles in the game. You don't want a defensive back leading your team in total tackles. But again, looking at what San Jose State scores here, I'm trying to pull them up as I'm chatting, but they don't score that many points. They scored like 22 versus USF, 0, 16, 10, 13. This was the most points they scored since their Hawaii loss at 16. I guess in the BYU loss at 20. They haven't scored this many points. This is the third time all year they cracked 20 points outside of playing Cal Poly. Well, I mean, and you can't really even say that they had a like a field position advantage either because on the whole you know they were fairly even all throughout the game like what happened with wyoming was that they had a big advantage on field position in the first half where they were starting on average at their own 38 but they weren't really doing much with it you know i'm trying to look at what they were doing uh in the in the first couple of halves and they only had like the one touchdown drive of 23 yards in the first half and then the two interceptions that Nick Smith threw. And then what happened after halftime is they ended up having a little bit of a disadvantage where by the time they started putting more long drives together, you know, they were having longer to go in order to make something of it. And when you look at what San Jose State was able to do, their longest drive was only 43 yards. Second, or, excuse me, there was 50 yards. Second half. And it was, yeah. But their longest drive in the first half was only 43 yards. So it wasn't like they were lighting the world on fire. They were doing just enough. Here's I applaud you to put them to get themselves into to get themselves into scoring range and to their credit, you know, Bryce Crawford had, you know, a couple of really long and pretty pretty solid field goals, and he almost had a fifty-five mm-hmm. yarder that came just short too. So you know, they leaned on their strength on special teams and it ended up coming through for him. You know, because he had a 44-yarder and a 52-yarder and he just missed a 55-yarder. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, you know, Wyoming, one of their biggest missed opportunities was the 49-yarder that Cooper Roth missed because it bounced off the crossbar. It did. I believe it was uh, early in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so it's those little things that just kind of made a difference for the Spartans in this game. Well, it was also... Spartans fumbled on that first uh, half drive. Mm-hmm. They're about midfield, so not guaranteed one more score. But three plays later, interception that led to a touchdown. Yeah. So here's one. If you are, if you watch this game, I applaud you. You would like to know why? Why is that? Um, end of the half, third quarter, field goal. Putt, 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 putt. <laughs> Miss field goal. Miss field goal. Putt, putt. Turn off run downs. <sighs> How can you watch that game? Uh, you really want to pay props to San Jose State seniors, or yeah, did you, did you have money to over under? 
<laughs> I did. I did not. I'm no. Just saying, but like, it's not just punt a million punts, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three and outs by both teams in the second half. Mm-hmm. So this game's over. Spartans, congratulations for them to get a win. And they, they have a few pieces going forward. Like, like I said, we'll get to all this offseason stuff later. Like Aaron um, Nevins should be back, I believe. Is he back next year? Uh, yes, freshman. Oh, yeah, he's a freshman. I was thinking yeah. of something else. But uh, So you got those guys. They'll, they should improve next year. Frank Ginda will see. He's a junior. Frank Ginda watched 10 tackles. Um, what did he end the season with? I don't have that in front of me. He ended, I believe he ended with 173 tackles. Short of the uh, – was it the alt- NCAA record, like 190? Oh, yeah. They have the all-time record is somewhat absurd, but he is – he did uh, pad his single-season conference record. Mm-hmm. So kudos to him for that. Yeah, 13.31 leads the nation with um, – because all stats count now, playoff, bowl games, title games. Yeah, yeah. So he did play 13 games, so that helps because they had the Hawaii exemption. So they had that. Next guy's from Buffalo. Buffalo is going to a bowl game, right? Yes, they are. So his yards per, uh, or excuse me, tackles per game could be at risk from him. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes in a couple weeks. And he could be back next year, possibly. We'll see. But, while well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, they really need Josh Allen back. They're going to a bowl game. The best bet for them, because looking up, we're going to have one of our Wyoming guys do an article on um, Josh Allen's injury, just because mm-hmm. of, like, the time frame to come back. I know athletes come back maybe sooner than non-athlete folks, because you're already, you should be in theoretically pretty good shape if you're an athlete, especially quarterback. Six weeks is a typical AC sprint joint timetable. I couldn't find anything specific on athletes because I've looked, I've looked up those before. Sometimes you can find, oh, it's maybe a quicker time frame because of access or just how, how healthy you are. Six weeks mm-hmm. would put him December 23rd for Josh Allen to return because the injury was uh, December 11th. Yeah. So the bowl games you want to look for, we'll have a guy do more in-depth in breakdown, but the Arizona Bowl and isn't the uh, – shoot, the um, – Oh, shoot. What's the other bowl? Arizona Bowl and the uh, Idaho Potato Bowl. Is that the one that's in December as well? Shoot. Well, I mean, they're all in December. No, I mean late December. Right right on Christmas. The week after. Shoot. Um, I always know that. I always remember that the Hawaii Bowl is on Christmas. That's it. No, that's the one. Sorry. Hawaii Bowl, yeah. Sorry. There's the Hawaii Bowl and the uh, Arizona Bowl. Arizona Bowl is after Christmas. Hawaii Bowl is right before. So those are the two bowl games you want to root for to have a chance to have Josh Allen back. That's still pushing it because – Six, the six-week time frame typically means, oh, you're healthy, but he hasn't played in forever. He hasn't probably practiced. How much time do they, does Craig Bull want him to practice before he's game ready? And maybe Josh Allen decides to go to NFL, which is kind of out of the bag. Craig Bull kind of mentioned it week week ago that that's likely the case, and we all kind of assume that's the case. Maybe we'll pull what a few guys did last year. Like, didn't Leonard Fournette not play in his bowl game? Uh, he did not, and, there, and then Christian McCaffrey also did Yeah, that. and there's a guy from Baylor versus Boise State, same thing. That's not, I, I don't know if that's the same scenario, but there's a re, I would, those guys were healthy. Didn't play Weren't they both healthy last year? I believe they're just not, they uh, didn't want to risk injury. I think McCaffrey's a little banged up. I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's correct. But I do know, um, obviously we know Allen is hurt right now. So that's a pretty risky if he wants to do that. So would you advise him to play if he's healthy? Uh, I mean, if it's like, if it's a kind of a dicey situation, I can understand why they might want to hold him off. But, um, I mean, I think when you consider, like, backroom machinations and everything like that, you know, they want ratings for all these games. So if that's the case, I'm sure that, you know, the Bulls that are picking kind of in the middle of the process, you know, New Mexico, Boise, uh, Potato, and Hawaii, 
they'll all consider that somehow. Mm-hmm. And they might, you know, enable Wyoming to have a few more days to play in the Arizona Bowl instead or something like that. Like that kind of thing wouldn't surprise me if they end up playing in a later bowl for Josh Allen's benefit, but also for the ratings. Okay. I'm just curious. It's going to be kind of close, so. And we could tell how well or not how how bad they've been playing without him in there. This, yeah. but, but Nick Smith did play well, what, last week or week before? He had a pretty good game, I mentioned. But this game is pretty awful, and he should not have had that bad of a game playing against this San Jose State team. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got two more games here. Utah, no, but BYU-Hawaii. Man. <sighs> is it really just missing John Ursu, and that's the main reason they're losing? Or is there something else to this team? Because they lost 30-20 to the 20 to a BYU team who is like their worst team in 40 years. Well, I mean you look at the box score and if you watch this game i think yeah they they need an outside receiver and you know the the guys that they had been counting on all year long again just didn't really have the impact that you would have expected them to like you know Ammon barker had three catches 41 yards but you know keelani Miliko, who i thought would be the guy who would step up three catches seven yards and, you know, it wasn't really until, you know, the young guys started stepping up and getting a little more playing time down the stretch. And I'm thinking mostly about Komoku Noah when I say that, because he was the guy who caught the, the late touchdown to make it 30 to 20. You know, three catches on four targets, 34 yards and a score. You know, it's it's a modest stat line, but I think that it's kind of indicative of where this team's going to be headed into the offseason. Because Col- Dylan Colley, again, had a really good game topped 100 yards, had six catches on seven targets. So he's proven himself to be one reliable target. You know, if they when they get Ursua back next fall, that's going to be two guys that they're going to be able to lean upon. But, I mean, you look around the rest of the stat sheet, St. Juiced had his worst game of the year. Ugly. You know, 12 carries, 39 yards. He did manage to become the all-time single-season rushing Barely. king for the Warriors. So, you know, congratulations to yes. that. But, I mean, yeah, this is the kind of situation where, you know, this team, you know, they found a way to be reliant, but also to make it work on one guy when throwing it. And then, you know, kind of down the stretch, especially in this game, they made it work a little bit relying on one guy through the air. But, you know, the, one of the biggest questions for 2018 is who's that number two guy going to be? Or once or so it comes back, who's that number three guy going to be? Mm-hmm. We'll see. But I think part of this game was sort of like the UNLV game. Running game, Squally Canada had another big game. He had a 40, that 40 yard touchdown run. He had a two touchdowns, 113 yards. Again, very few carries. Austin Confenses, quarterback, had everybody ran the ball. Riley Burt, who's really played running back for BYU, ran all over this team. There was that defensive touchdown. And did you see the player, that giant offense, excuse me, giant defensive lineman just bulldozed? bulldoze and knock down that pass late in the game. <laughs> yeah, it is. They just pushed him around and heads up and boom. They had the scoop and score or I don't know, it's technically a fumble, but it didn't hit the ground. They got returned 40 plus yards. But it's like really quick back to Canada, his two games over 100 yards, his three that's just crazy. Not including Portland State, his four best rushing yard games are all against Mountain West teams. 213 hmm. UNLV, 113 Hawaii, 84 Fresno, 69 Utah State. And so <laughs> that's kind of interesting. But, like, this Hawaii team couldn't run the ball or couldn't stop the run and couldn't run the ball. It's not like Joe Critchlow threw the ball well, only 166 yards, barely over 50%. Matt Bushman only had two catches. This is where all running game in Hawaii's offense was uh, 
not great. It's like the defense let them down. BYU scoring 30 points, his BYU team is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's, I'm just saying, like, what can you say? Like, it was basically the running game, third down conversions, three of 11. Penalties were not great, six for 55. That's kind of okay for what Hawaii's done all year. But time session, BYU, 1.9 yards per carry in the ground. This is a game where BYU just pushed Hawaii around, and it's kind of surprising to see for how many injuries BYU's had. They've had way more than Hawaii's had this year. They had, what, five TFLs, a couple sacks. They were just all over the place, and offense and defense, Hawaii really had nothing to go for them, for themselves outside of a couple plays. Well, I mean, I think one thing you could maybe be encouraged by if you're thinking ahead to next year, they did create opportunities for themselves, which is not something you've seen week in and week out from this defense. Like, they did have, you know, they did force two fumbles, and they did recover both of them, including the... uh, that kind of heads up play from Solomon Matawutia, who, you know, I believe it was Jelani Tavai who hit Critchlow. And it looked like a, it was credited as a fumble recovery for a touchdown, but it looked like an interception, which yeah. was kind of, it was kind of odd to watch, but you know, mm-hmm. you didn't see a lot of that from this defense this year. So I think you could be a little bit encouraged by the fact that the front seven, especially the linebackers, we were able to create plays for themselves. You know, Jelani Tavai, you know, before we, let him go you know he did lead the team 13 tackles he did have a sack um which was the one that set up the touchdown so that's you know he had a pretty good game and Matau Tua ended up with 10 tackle of his own so you know I think that's one thing you can lean on but yeah they're gonna have to they're gonna have to solve their defensive line issues going forward somehow because you know when you're getting beat up by a BYU team that hasn't really been able to run the ball very consistently all year long and you're giving up, what, uh, you know, five <laughs> yards a carry to that team. It gets a bad rushing team as well. Yeah, that's probably, like, problem number one that Nick Rolovich and company are going to have to solve this offseason. All right, well, let's move on to the final game, Utah State Air Force. Luckily for Utah State, we, oh, we mentioned UNLV is not eligible. Utah State's sort of lucky because they're 6-6 six and six now after the loss, 38-35. This might have been the game of the weekend. It was a really good game. I thought it, it was, was. It was a sneaky good game if you stayed up late to watch it, like like I did kind of late. That's why. Thank you for pointing out my miscue in the uh, bowl projections. I was during that game. I was typing it up. But Utah State six and six. They're going to the bowl game because there's exactly seventy eight bowl eligible teams. One caveat where Air Force could go to a bowl game because maybe UCLA doesn't want to go to a bowl game because they have new head coach and everything. They're six and six, right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. I should double check that real quick. But Air Air Force has the top RPI or not RPI? Geez, APR. Excuse me, that's basketball term. But UCLA, if they're sitting at a, they are six and six. They could decline a bowl game just because they have Chip Kelly now in tow. Maybe they don't want to go to bowl games because interim coach and all that. We'll see. So there's a small chance Air Force could go to a bowl game if they decline. Which honestly, could I haven't heard anything about it, but we've seen teams decline with a new coach coming in. So there's that. Yeah. But after the game itself, whew, a lot of points in the first quarter. If you stay up to watch the fourth quarter, you're in lucky luck for some good football. Oh, yeah, of course. In this game, we mentioned, because it was kind of a, thrown upon us as we are doing our pregame research for our last show, or sort of. We This kind of sprung upon us. We didn't really look into it, but we found out Isaiah Sanders starting due to injury. This guy has, he ran. I complained about Aaron Worthman running the ball too many times. Matt, how many carries did Isaiah Sanders have in this victory? 
Isaiah Sanders had 44 carries in this victory for 196 yards 44. and three touchdowns. <laughs> By the and- way, I, I looked up. I looked up on Sports Reference the list of running backs, or the list of ball carriers, rather, who have had 44 carries in a game since 2000. Really interesting list. What do you got? Who Like who? Okay, so the, or what did you notice? What you notice, I should say. And this is, this is just since 2000, so there might have been guys before that that aren't included on this list. At the top of the list, Michael Turner. Back okay. when he was at Northern Illinois, fifty-two Who, carries in a in a win over Central Michigan back in two thousand. Side note: had his own hot sauce there in uh, Northern Illinois. I did not know that. Yes, and my team of choice on our rip NCAA football, but EA Sports NCAA football. I played NIU quite a bit with him on my team. But yeah, I mean, you go down the list. Uh, Dante Foreman from Texas is on there in last, last year's year. last year's loss to Kansas. <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, Ladinian Tomlinson's on this list. Kadeem Carey at Arizona's on this list. Larry Ned, blast from the past from San Diego State, is on this list. Um, Chance Kretschmer, former Nevada running back, 2001 had 45 carries. So, I mean, there's a really interesting list. There's a really interesting list that, you know, Matt Forte's on there. Le'Veon Bell's on there. If you're thinking about NFL stars, really cool list to see. You know what's interesting? Outside of, I guess, maybe the Nevada player, how many teams run the triple option on there? None. Uh, right? Actually, yeah. Like you, I mean, or at least who you I mentioned. Mean, outside of, depends what I think of the pistol, but none of them really run. I know a run base attack, but that's different than what Air Force, Georgia Tech, Navy, Army do, or Nebraska used to do. Yeah, because, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily see the number of carries concentrated quite like you saw uh, yesterday. Yeah, it makes sense, too. So you, just spread out. You, you could have maybe three guys with 20-plus carries, four guys with 10. But then, you know, you look at what Sanders was able to do on the ground, and, like, he didn't necessarily blow anybody away. But, you know, he was kind of nickel and diming them to death. Like, if you look at the number of running chunk plays that they had – you know, they had 13 on the game, but like if you go down the list, it's like Isaiah Sanders, 10 yards, Isaiah Sanders, 10 yards, Isaiah Sanders, 10 yards, Isaiah Sanders, 11 yards, 10 His yards, long. 12. His long was 11. <laughs> yeah. So like he wasn't necessarily breaking out and getting like huge chunks of yardage, but like he was killing Air Force on the ground. I mean, he especially. Would not move his feet. His feet would not stop. Like see that first down where he spun around, tripped over to the guy trying to tackle him. Leans over, backspins three times, it seems like, stretches for, like, the makes it by one yard or one inch. Mm-hmm. Like, his feet would not stop moving. Yeah. It seemed like every time the Air Force had, like, a third and short that they would find a way to convert it. And, you know, it was really weird because we one of the things we've talked about a lot with this Utah State team is, like, you know, which offense is going to show up? And, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that Utah State's offense had one of its best performances of the year. Like we've talked about, they can beat vulnerable defenses. And they owned Air Force in that. Like they averaged nearly nine yards play, you know, by winning on the ground. Gerald Bright had over 100 yards. Aaron Vaughn's had two carries. One of them was a 71-yard touchdown. Jordan Love was 17 of 30, 284 yards. So they were winning on offense. Mm-hmm. But, and those two pe- touchdowns to run Craven and Tarver, those were sick, man. Both the exact same play right at the pylon there. But Ooh. but then you start looking at other numbers, like the, the disparity in the number of plays ran. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Utah State only ran 59 plays. 
which, you know, a lot of that is a product of how much success they were having. Air Force ran 94 plays. And they dominated on time of possession in a way that we haven't often talked about this year. Like the you know, Utah State only had the ball for 22 minutes. Air Force had it for nearly 38. And because you know they were 11 of 20 on third downs. So for as explosive as Utah State was, the defense wasn't doing nearly enough to slow down how efficient Air Force was being. And a lot of credit falls to the quarterback, who in his first career start, basically put the team on his shoulders and let him do a win. I thought this game, yeah, they, he did a very good job. And give, we'll, I'll talk about the defensive play here in a second. But here's the turning point in the game. Air Force, 16 plays, nearly seven-minute drive. They're up four, up three. They're driving, driving. They go down fourth and third and goal at the one. Don't get it. Fourth and goal at the one. Okay, you're down. You're up three. What are you going to do? Kick a field goal. Okay, six points. It really does nothing for you if you think about it. This is the end of the right and start of the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. They get stuffed fourth and goal at the one. Utah State, sick. They just drove like nothing. Six plays, 99 yards. The first pass play. Yep. Jordan Lovey's excellent pass play to Scarver there. It's 46 yarder. Then they go a couple. Then Ron Tarver has that 25 yarder. Then one of the touchdowns I mentioned. If you haven't checked our highlight on our website, we put a bunch of highlights out there. Check out both those Tarver touchdowns. Okay, they're at 28 24. Air Force punched the ball after three plays, gaining one yard. You figured, okay, game's over. They're up four. They got the ball, what, six minutes left in the game? Something like that. Ten minutes, excuse me, 11 minutes left in the game. Much more time than I thought. They're sitting at third and three. Okay. Fumble recovery in the end zone. Strip sack score. Air Force gets it. That's basically game over. But wait, there's more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's the game. The game. No. It's like, give credit. Like, Utah, both teams, like, Look how like there's big discrepancies. Fourth and one, the goal, goal. You don't get it. Yeah, Aggies, ninety nine yards touchdown. Okay, whatever. They forced the putt. All right, we got this. Utah State. We run the ball. We get up. We we see what we can do. Look at last time we're down deeper in territory. We'll get a field goal or at least. No, they defensive score. Utah State comes back. Who cares? We'll score again. They go down, driving down again. Tarver with that second touchdown pass. All right. Now, just only five minutes left. Air Force takes a lengthy drive, 13-play drive, pretty efficient in almost four minutes, scores a touchdown. And as Sanders TD, it's like, geez. And then Utah State couldn't get anything done, end of the game, midfield. But, like, those last ten – you think the – this is comparable. Like, did you watch UCF-USF on Friday? Did you see the end of that game? I saw some of it, yeah. I did not see the end I saw, of the like, game, the – I saw the final 10 minutes. This game mimics that in excitement for how many touchdowns and scores there were. USF-UCF game, a couple blown coverages, kick return for a touchdown to get UCF victory eventually. But this game had the same amount of points or same kind of style of finish in this game. And neither team gave up, and both teams responded when they were down big time. Mm -hmm. And ended up being Air Force just came out on top. And that's all I got. I don't know. Kind of dramatic at the end. Like I said, last 10 minutes, you should have watched, folks. You should have. You missed out late, late night football. So is uh, so is Sanders going to be the guy next year going forward, perhaps? Well, I mean, I figure Worthman will be in – I mean, there's got to be at least a competition if Worthman – when Worthman gets healthy. We know, we know Nate Roman is graduating one way or the other. Yeah. But, you know, couldn't hurt to have a, a viable backup. To know that things will be all right if your number one guy goes down. Okay, all right. Do we have anything else to add? Because this show has gone quite a bit long. Lengthy. We had a long uh, San Diego State for or San. Ah, 
San Diego State. Well, we did talk about San Diego State, Stanford, but Fresno, Boise. Any parting shots before we get to our preview next week about the Mountain West Championship game? Season is regular season. Unfortunately, has come to an end. Shout out to everybody who has made this week our best week yet over at the website. Heck yeah! You know where you know who you are. I shout out some names, but I just have ones and zeros. And if that and if that's not you, what are you doing? If you listen to the show, if you listen to us at other locations before, join us over here. We know what we're doing. Uh, actually, I'd say right now, I I know we're sort of new just because of our new web home, but today. Right now, Sunday night is our best page view by far. Yesterday, Saturday night was our previous high in page views. So we've been doing quite well. So, again, like Matt said, thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. If you're not, if you're just listening, at least click on the articles, folks. Come on. We got some good stuff out there. We got baseball. We got basketball going on right now. We got, we're going to blow out the coverage, blow out the budget for Mountain West title game coverage next week. Word. So give us a watch. Give us a read. Give us a listen. If you like this at our other location, they're doing nothing now. Stick with us. We know what we're doing. Yes, we do. Is that a nice subtweet? Is that a <laughs> podcast tweet? Yeah, we'll leave it at that. I already subtweeted on our web on the po- website as well, or on Twitter. So, you know who we are: Matt Kennerly, Jeremy Moss. We talk Mountain West. We got everybody. So, hey, check out our site: MW Wire, um, Facebook, Twitter, all that same stuff. Podcast. We're on Spreaker now. So, if you like Spreaker, check them out. It's kind of like SoundCloud, but we're not on SoundCloud. So, go to Spreaker if you have an Android app because Blog Tech Radio does not have an app, but a great player now that's improved. So. Block Talk Radio, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening, and as always, we'll be back next time, and we're biased against your team, folks.